There we go. Okay, now, now I'm on. Okay, uh, a couple volunteers. Uh, I don't know if they really volunteered. I just told them I needed their help. So, Wyatt and Scott, will you guys come up here? I want to ask you guys a couple quick questions. Probably shouldn't take too long. Probably will be pretty embarrassing. Um, more for you than for me. It, it won't bother me at all, but that's okay. Um, so I just want to ask you guys, um, how old are you again? 13. You're 13, good. Don't lie, because you've had a birthday party. We celebrated a birthday for you a couple of days ago, but your birthday is still you know, a good five days away, and there's a chance you might not make it, depending on your attitude towards your parents. That's all, but you're, you're about to be 14. How old are you, Scott? Scott, you are 14. Uh, these guys in a few years will be driving, so I encourage you, buckle up, wear helmets if you must. Uh, okay, so I want to ask you a question. Have, have either of you ever tried to impress a girl before? <laughs> That's a dumb question. So what, what might you do to impress a girl? What's something that you've done to try to, try to get a girl to like you? When I hurt my knee, I mean, I changed the story around just a bit. Okay, so the story was you were on a scooter and you jumped a ramp. What, what did the story change to to impress somebody? I got in a fight at school, and um, he kicked my knee in after I beat him up. Okay, good story. He's the violent type, so. <laughs> okay, how about you, Scott? Have you ever tried to impress a girl? Doing the same thing, you kind of get hurt, and you know you have you have the band aid on, and you you kind of elaborate on what really happened. You know it was a paper cut, or you know you slipped and and fell on something, but that's not a cool story. So you tell them. So there's a lot of different ways that you might impress a girl. You know, dressing up nice, wearing cologne, not not too much cologne, mind you, but wearing just the right amount of cologne is really important, right? Pine Springs? <laughs> you know what? This is new information to me. I don't know that. I'm, maybe I'm going to be the embarrassed one. Okay, this is good enough. You guys go sit down. Thank you guys so much. Okay, so I want to... Wait, wait, I'm not done with you yet. Come back up here. I have something I want you to do, okay? I want you... We're going to talk about this idea of impressing, Okay? And there's several different definitions. One definition basically is to impress someone, to try to, sh- uh, uh, to uh, show a positive light, uh, cast a positive light on yourself. So you might impress a girl. Uh, if you're a parent or a teacher, uh, you might want your, uh, a child, somebody to learn something. So you impress upon them something that is important. Uh, and then there's the very basic idea of impression, uh, which is just that you simply make a mark. Okay, so I have uh, two items here, okay, and each of you get an opportunity to impress on one of these items. So which one do you want? Oh, you called the Play-Doh. Okay, you get the Play-Doh, and you want the the 2x4. So here's the 2x4. Here's the Play-Doh. I'm just going to set... Where are you? Don't follow me. That's not the instructions. You stay right there. Here's the Play-Doh right here. It, it could. So, here's the Play-Doh right here. Okay, Wyatt, stand right here. Okay, you cannot move. You have to stay right there. You can stay where you are. You can't move. you got to keep your feet there, but you are already holding that. 
I want you to impress upon that wood, while at the same time, I want you to impress upon that Play-Doh. Ready? On your mark, get set, go. It means that you have to make a mark on that Play-Doh. No, I said you couldn't move. You have to stay there and impress it. So, I'm giving you all 10 seconds. On your mark, get set. You've got to make a mark on that. Ready? Go. Two, three. Why not? Because you told me not. But you need to impress upon that Play-Doh. I want you to make your mark on that Play-Doh. Okay, you, you did, it didn't? No. I'm glad you told me that because everybody else thought it did work. Okay so, okay, so what you're saying is in order for you to impress upon this Play-Doh, you have to get close to it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you the opportunity. Go, you can walk to it and, and make a mark on the Play-Doh. Okay, wow. Okay, you, that's your mark. Okay. All right. Now you stand here and hold. Okay, let me see what you've done to yours. I see no marks on here. So what you're saying is you need something to help you make a mark. Okay, why don't you set that on the ground? Brian, I apologize. Leah, if he gets hurt, this is of his own accord. Michael, I hope you taught him how to swing it. Okay, make a mark. Okay, now we have a mark, a a little indention that you made. Were you able to make it without the hammer? No, you needed to be properly equipped. He needed the right equipment in order to make the mark. Okay. This um, was a, a solid ball. You put a nice little hole in it. Now it looks like you're making... You were going to make a dog. Okay, but in order, in order for you to impress upon this piece of Play-Doh, you had to get close to it. You couldn't just stand off and make an impression. You actually had to get close. Good, thank you for answering that. Okay, I'll take the hammer. And you guys go sit down. All right. Go. Thank you, now you're done. Okay, so we're going to talk about the idea of impressing. You can impress a girl, or you can impress upon a student something that's important. Or, in, in the very most simple case, is that you just simply make a mark. In fact, this is where we get the idea of impression. It comes from... Uh, the idea that a, a king who has his signet ring and there's wax uh, on the seal, it's poured out on there and he presses down on there and he makes an impression. Okay? That word in the Greek is tupos. And, the, and that word is used specifically in John chapter 20 in verses 24 and 25. Thomas, also called Didymus, also known as the one who doubts, right? He's the one who says, I will not believe that Jesus has risen again unless what? He says, unless I see the impression on his hands and the impression that was made from the nails. He says, he says, unless I see the nail marks, which is the two posts, which means the marks is the impressions, in his hands, and I put my finger where, uh, where uh, two posts, the impression from the nails were, I will not believe. He said, I wanted to see the mark that was made. You see, we are called to impress upon other people. Not to impress them, 
but to impress the love of God onto them. We are called to go to people and help mold them and shape them and allow God to be impressed upon each one of these people. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. By following that example, he's saying, Jesus has impressed upon me and now I want to go out and I want to impress that upon others. Last week, we... We, we talked about the idea that we are called to be a people who pray and praise. And I think for most of us, when I say we're called to be a people who praise and pray, we almost always zoom in to right here. When I say, well, we, we're, we praise God and we pray to God, almost everybody says, okay, he's talking about Sunday morning at 9 a.m. when we sit down in a purple pew and we start singing songs. And I want to suggest that praising is so much larger than that. A lot of people, however, have this disconnect. There's this dichotomy between I come on Sunday morning to worship because that's what God wants me to do, but the rest of the week I have to do other things. Specifically, I have to work. And somehow we got the idea that work and worship are separate and apart. That these things don't come together. That we come together to worship, but then we have to go out because we have to work. And God doesn't really like that. He doesn't want us to do it. But we know that if we want to feed our families and have a roof on our head, we have to do those types of things. And so we say, God, I'm sorry, I have to work. And we've heard of a lot of sermons where we have preachers who are shaming people because they work and they work and they work. And we somehow decided that work is bad. Well, if taken to an extreme, you can worship work instead of God. But if you go back and look in the Bible, you will see from the very beginning that work is something that God called us to do. You want to know why? Why do you think God would call us to work? Because God is a God of work. And He says to follow me. If I ask you where did work originate in the Bible, many of you would say, oh yeah, it happens you know, after the fall of Genesis chapter 3. God looks at what Adam and Eve have done and he says, guess what Adam, your punishment is you're going to work. That is not the punishment that God gave Adam. Work had already been a part of Adam's life. Which by the way, we don't know how long Genesis 1 and 2 lasted beyond the seven days. I believe in the seven days of creation because the Bible said it, and if God wants to do it that way, then that's, that's how it's going to happen. But that's how Genesis describes it, that we have this, and then afterwards we have a period of time that we don't really know about. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. We don't know how many children that they would have had. We do know this, at some point, Eve ate of the fruit and gave it to Adam and he ate of it. But prior to that, they had done work. They were in the garden. I don't know about you, 
but it would be fun to sit down and think of a name to call an animal. That would be fun. To name every animal, that's work. And that's what Adam did. Adam was working before the fall. It was just that he was doing it without the thorns and the thistles and the weeds. But work is something that we are called to do by God. And the reason why we do that is because that is what he does. Okay, so we've decided that work is not bad, it's okay, and we have worship over here, but we know that worship is better, right? Worship on a Sunday morning is more important. Sunday is paramount. You want to know why? It's the first day of the week. And because it's the first day of the week, Sunday is more important than all the other days, right? Listen to what God says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7, which, by the way, Jeremiah takes place, uh, it, it opens up, the book opens up with uh, Babylon carrying off Judah into captivity. They are in captivity, and Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And he's talking about all the struggles and all the mistakes that his people had made, which had led them off into captivity. And, and notice this, this is something that, that's really interesting. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 9. He's about to, to uh, indict them for something that they have done. And you would almost bet that he, when he talks about worship, he's talking about what happens on Sunday in worship. Okay, but he says this. God says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then... Come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. God says, He doesn't say, Hey, you're doing everything right on Sunday or the Sabbath when you come in. He doesn't say, Good job, way to go. He says, I have been watching you. I did not create you to praise me one day a week. I have created you to give me the glory every single day. And you can come in here on Sunday, and you can sit down and you can sing songs, but let me tell you something. If you're out there lying and stealing and committing adultery and making idols out of food or out of careers or out of people, or out of things. He says, I have been watching. He says, your worship is something that takes place everywhere. So not only is God, are we not to assume that work is now bad, but Jeremiah is saying, what you do outside of the gate just as important as what you do inside the sanctuary. And so for many of us, for many of you, I guess I'm the exception to this rule because this actually is where I work. But for a lot of you who go out into the world, you have to understand that that is a very, very important part of your worship. 
And that God does not look at that and say, oh, that's not really important. What's really important is that you come in here and you sing songs. He says, your worship is something that is to take place everywhere that you go. Can you think of examples in the Bible where there are people who were called by God to go out into the workplace? How about our good friend, Joseph? Do you remember what Joseph says to his brothers when they realized who he is? He's now in Egypt. And he says, what you meant for harm, what? God meant for good. Do you understand what Joseph is saying by that? He's not just simply saying, you messed up and God, you know, just came and and saved the day. He said, God meant for me to be here, working. He allowed me, He chose me to be in a place where I could impress upon people who my God is. You want another example? How about Esther? You remember the story of Esther? Do you remember her uh, her relative Mordecai? When she's trying to figure out, do I go in before the king? Do I plead for my people who there's been a law written in which one day there's going to be a massacre of all the Jews? And she has to decide, am I going to go in and risk my life? And you remember what Mordecai says? Who knows? For maybe you are in this position for such a time as this. Mordecai is echoing what Joseph said, that God may have in fact allowed her to be in that place, to be in the workplace, to have that impression upon people. It wasn't an accident that she was there. God chose for her to be in that position. Okay, how about the craziest one of them all? How about the story of Daniel? Now this is a crazy story. They are in captivity, okay? And, and we have Babylon has come in and they have said, okay, we are going to take from royal family the best of the best people. And then they use words that people would usually use to describe me, like really good looking and rugged and handsome and... Okay, maybe not most of those. Maybe I wouldn't have been one of the ones that got picked like Daniel did. But Daniel and his friends got picked. Now, understand the concept. Imagine a nation coming in, invading America, and tearing it to pieces, and then picking out several people saying, you're going with me, you're going with me, you're going with me. And you know what they did when they took them in? They taught them a new language. They taught them the culture. They would have been surrounded by the gods. They would have been in some ways considered like traitors. Don't you think? Can you imagine that? And yet, it is evident that God is working in that situation. Because Daniel says, hey, I'm not going to eat this food. Why don't you let me eat the food that God allows us to eat? And those looking over him says, are you trying to get us killed? 
you're going to eat that stuff, you're going to get scrawny, we're going to be in trouble for it. You came here good looking, you walk out as a toothpick and my head is on a platter. You can't do this. And they say, just give us a few days. And they do and they pray to God and God allows that to happen. But here's something really interesting about the story of Daniel. Do you think God allowed them to be there? Listen to this, verse 17 of Daniel chapter 1. To these four men, which by the way, um, Daniel is the only uh, of those four people who we still call by his Hebrew name. He was called Belteshazzar. If I told you the names of the other people, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you probably have said, who? Remember, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they were given new names, which they kept. Again, you would think, really? Is this really what God wants? Shouldn't they be with their people, you know, worshiping and suffering? Why are they here? Because God wanted them to make an impression. Listen to this. To these four men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Where was that verse 25 years ago when I was stuck in school? God gave them an understanding of a culture and a language and of literature that was not of their own. Why? Because God says that where you work and what you do outside of the sanctuary is really important. If you look in the Old Testament and even on into the New Testament, they had a, a word, a phrase to describe life outside of the sanctuary. They called it at the gate. It was at the gate where wisdom was shared. It was at the gate where there was the marketplace. It was at the gate that people would be hired and people would be chosen in certain fields. This is at this place that we're going to talk about for the last few minutes. What does life look like outside of the gate? And for those of us who have bifurcated this idea of worship and work, like they're two completely separate things, Paul is going to say those are on the same coin, just simply on different sides. That we are called to work and worship. A few minutes ago when I had the boys up, I had the, the Play-Doh here, and I set it here, and I wouldn't allow Wyatt to get close to it. And I said, I want you to make an impression, an indention upon this piece, and he couldn't do it. Why could he not do it? He couldn't move. What did he need to do in order to make a, an impression on the Play-Doh? He had to be close. God has ordained work for you so that you might glorify Him. And you glorify Him by the way that you work. The attitude that you display as you're walking down the hallways of the high school or the hospital or the Walmart aisle. That each one of us, our worship is not something that only happens on Sunday. We, we have a, a young man in here 
Uh, and I'll say nice things about him because he's younger than me and he can just put the whoop on me. But Julian back there is one of our marine recruiters. But, but he does double duty. Not only is he recruiting for the United States Marines, he's recruiting for the Lord. And when he has an opportunity to tell people, you can serve your country, he also makes the opportunity to say, and you can serve God too. And as a result of the fact that he understands that his worship takes place not only in here but out there, we had a young man, Noel, last week chose to be baptized because we had somebody who got close enough to make an impression. Each one of you has an opportunity to get close to somebody and make an impression. If I were to ask you, how many of you had a coach in your life who made a powerful impact on you by the way that they spoke or the way that they had integrity or how they worked hard or how they showed kindness, probably a lot of you could do it. And if I said, well, how about those of you who had a teacher or you had an employer or you had an employee or you had somebody in your life who made an impact upon you outside of what takes place in the sanctuary, outside of what takes place at a church building, Every one of you would say, there's been a person in my life who had a positive influence upon me. And sometimes their positive influence is talking about Jesus, and sometimes their positive influence is showing how Jesus would have integrity in a place where there's not much of it. When we talk about God in the workplace, I'm not just simply saying, standing at the coffee machine and handing out pamphlets about Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the times that you get together with a group of people in the morning and you pray at your workplace for those who want to get involved. That's great too. But we are called to follow Jesus. And if we show integrity and character in our workplace, we are making an impression upon those people. And those impressions give a voice to who God is. I just noticed that my timer is not moving. I didn't set it, so I have no idea how much time I have left. So I'm going to give myself four minutes. Don't start your timers, but four minutes, I've got this. Is that okay, or is that three? Okay, four minutes. Okay, we're good. One more thing. Remember, we talked about we're the light of the world. We just sang the song, This is the Light of Mine. We're also called to be what? We're, we're the light and what else? Matthew 5. We're the salt. Now, salt for us, it gives flavor. Back then, it was a preservative. Okay? So you have this juicy piece of meat. Okay? Rusty has been out hunting. He's found this piece of meat. He's shot this animal. He's, he's harvested the meat. He has the meat. He brings it in and he sets it on the table. Right? Okay. And he leaves it there. Okay. In about three days, he tells Judy, Hey, Judy, I got some meat that I've left on the table. Why don't you cook it and we can have something good to eat tonight? And she looks at him and says, The thing that's growing and then has walked away. Because that meat is now disgusting. Okay. Do we blame the meat because it's spoiled? No. What's the problem? There was no preservative placed on the meat. It's not the meat's fault. This world 
in a, in a way of speaking, is a slab of meat. And God says what? You are the salt. You are the one that preserves it. You're the one that's supposed to go out and get all in that meat's junk and start preserving and changing the lives of people around you. We can sit back and say, man, this world is in a terrible place. And we could spend four and a half days listing the things that are wrong with this world. But that's what it does. It's the meat. What changes it? It's the salt. It's Jesus impacting lives and changing it. Colossians chapter 3 Verse 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, go to school, whatever you do, go to work, whatever you do, go to the market, whatever you do, stay at home, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. For you will receive an inheritance from your Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do. There's a lot of stinky meat out there that needs to be saved and preserved. And we are called to do it. The Play-Doh is out there. We need to use our work as an opportunity. You don't like your job? Maybe God has said, I want you to be there because you're going to make an impression on the people around you by your character and by your attitude. You don't like to go into school, Dimitri? Well, that's too bad. You have to go to school. No, no, no. You go to school because you have an opportunity to make an impression upon people. Each one of us has that opportunity. Work is not a bad thing. It's not a four-letter word that God says, oh, I hate this. He says, no, I want you to go do it and do it with such integrity that when people look at you working, they see me living in you. So this week, our worship is going to begin when the alarm goes off and we walk into that office, we walk into that building We walk into that hospital or that school and we say, here we go. We are going to impress upon people. We are going to make an impression on who God is. So get excited about what we're going to do this week. It's crazy out there. People are upset and they're fanatical and it's chaos. And you get near a mall and it gets crazy. But this is a great opportunity for us to go out there and impress upon people and talk about Jesus. Let's let's continue our praise as we stand and sing.